Will it be despair or desperation that consumes you? Pastor Ed Taylor says that's the choice before each of us in a global pandemic. Listen, church, seek first the kingdom of God. Let the time in which we're in right now stir up a desperation. Frustrations are done away with, with desperation. Desperation for the things of God. If we don't cry out, if we don't long for the presence of power of God, then we're going to be stale and we're going to be dry and droughts await us and and we're going to be worried and we're going to be fretting and we're going to be overwhelmed and we're going to be consumed with our own thoughts, stuck in our own heads, limited to our own ideas, which leads to despair and hopelessness. And here it is. Will it be despair or desperation? It's our choice. This is amazing grace. With all that we've been through this year, it would be easy for us to resort to worry or live in despair, and many are. But today on Abounding Grace, we'd like to encourage you in a different direction, and that is to develop a desperation for the things of God. Pastor Ed Taylor believes such desperation changes us. So let's be encouraged to turn our worry into dependent prayer as we meet up with Pastor Ed in Daniel 10. Daniel chapter 10. If you weren't with us last time, we covered the 70th week of Daniel. And and that's a, a fascinating highlight of the Bible. Looking at God's unfolding plan prophetically in Daniel chapter 9. That's posted on our app on our website. Go and and listen to it, watch it, uh, just put it on while you're working out or while you're cleaning the house, whatever you might be doing, get the Word of God inside of you. Another thing that I've been doing uh, that I want to encourage you is go to my website, edtaylor.org, as this is broadcast all around the country, all, even around the world, I began to write more on prophecy there. So we're living in the last days, and I was just looking at what I've been writing on. I wrote a lot on grief. I love writing, and I have a podcast on spiritual leadership, but man, let's talk about prophecy. And that's where we are in Daniel. So I've been posting a lot on prophecy. For example, you know, the, the big question when we're teaching this study is, is the COVID-19 coronavirus God's judgment upon the United States? If you want my answer on that biblically, go to my website and I think it will encourage you. We come to a new chapter today, chapter 10, and I've entitled it, Desperation Changes Us desperation changes us. Have you ever been desperate for something? I mean, ever really wanted something so bad that it moved you emotionally, kind of made you desperate? I mean, think about on a little, on a smaller scale. You know, there, there are times when I'm in a hurry, I've got an appointment, I've got to be somewhere, a person to me. So I gather up my stuff and I put this over here and I have this over by the garage door and then I can't find my keys. And I can't find my keys. So, so I'm in a hurry. Uh, I'm looking for my keys. Hey, Marie, where are the keys? Not in my pocket, not in my jacket, not upstairs, not on the floor. I kind of have a routine so that this doesn't happen to me, but it still does, even with the routine. And in a very small way, I become frustrated, but I also become desperate. Why didn't I just put them back in the place that I can remember them? Why didn't I just put them on the hook? And frustration, desperation, 
Webster's Dictionary defines desperation as this, and I quote, involving or employing extreme measures in an attempt to escape defeat or frustration. And let's face it, losing my keys really is no big deal. And now on my keys, I bought one of those little things that will beep if I pull out my app and I, say, I click it. And I, let me tell you, one time I had to do that and I had take, gotten a ride with my son coming home or something and my keys were here in the building. And I'm like, oh, oh I don't know. But when I look at my life, I have to say there have been times and seasons where I've become desperate again for the things of God. Now I know you're in uh, Daniel chapter 10. Hold your place there. Turn over to the New Testament to Matthew's gospel chapter 6. Because if there's something that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, it's the importance of desperation. Can I just ask you, are you desperate for the things of God yet? Like are you desperate or are you still in a place of apathy? Have you answered the wake-up call of God? Because I hope you have. There, there's times when I haven't been desperate, where I've gotten into a place of comfort and ease, and yet there have been times when I'm desperate for the things of God. Listen, we have been in a place of great strain for some time now. Has it wake, woken you up yet? Are spiritual things still routine for you? Is your life with Jesus too predictable? You know, I agree with the psalmist when he said, jot it down in Psalm 51:10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, as the old King, or the new King James, in the New Living Translation, renew a loyal, I like that, renew a loyal spirit within me. And listen, friend, no matter when you're listening to this, we are living now in a season where God is drawing out from us a deeper dependence upon him. A deeper dependence and desperation. And notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Really pick up with me in verse 31, would you? Matthew chapter 6. Well, let's go back and go back to verse 24. Let's do Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is teaching here. Listen, listen to what he says. I mean, just picture yourself sitting there on the mountainside listening to Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can I just pause for a second about the birds? Every springtime, the birds are going to come to my house, and there's a set of birds that live on my porch, and then there's a set of birds that build a nest up there, and then they, on either, they're all around. They kind of post themselves. They, they know the time, and they post themselves all around on the roofs of the houses around us, and then they start dive-bombing us when we walk out our front lawn, because they, our front door, as we're heading out the front door, because they think they own our house. They don't pay me rent. They don't pay a mortgage. Uh, and yet they don't worry. They, 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 like, they depend upon my house. And you know what? God has provided my house to them. God has provided a place. And whether it's the birds that come to roost on my porch or that stinking woodpecker, and I hope he doesn't come back. I think I've scared him off. Uh, you know, they don't allow you to do stuff to woodpeckers in Colorado. So you just have to yell at them, scream at them. And I would... 
yell at him and scream at him, and I hope he doesn't come back. But even the woodpecker thinks he owns my house. The birds think they own my house. The rabbits think they own my house. And Jesus is saying, look, look around. Just look around. The rabbits aren't worried. The birds aren't worried. The coyotes aren't worried. Nobody, none of the animals are worried. They know that things are going to be provided for them. No, but who worries? You and I, we worry. We worry. And, and Jesus asks, you know, you look at the birds and you look around, you look at the flowers, you look at everything, then, then what is worrying adding to your life? I think that's just a word from the Lord. I wanted to jump in a little bit later, but God had me go back. Like, l- listen, can your, listen to Jesus, can your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer is no. So why do you worry about clothing? He says, verse 28. This is Matthew 6. We're going to get into Daniel 10 in a moment. But look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, listen, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or you might have memorized it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Six times in this section, we're told by Jesus not to worry. Because worry literally means to choke or to strangle. And he says, don't allow the cares and concerns of life, eating, drinking, and what clothes to wear. Don't let them strangle faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let it take the air out and the joy out of your relationship. Worry blinds us. It distracts us and it strangles the life right out of us. And trust me, I'm a worrier. It's a plaguing area of my flesh. You know, whenever we bring someone on our team here, uh, I sit down with them and I give them a, an interview and we talk about the flesh a little bit. And we talk about little things in the flesh. And, and, and we talk about that so that when we know about them, we can hold you accountable to them and we can encourage you in them. And this is one for me. There are just times when I worry. And, and I'm telling you, Almost every single time I've worried, God has come through. And it hasn't helped me. It's a lot like fog. You know, fog covering about eight blocks. Fog covering about eight blocks contains like 60 trillion. And I don't know who counted all this. But 60 trillion droplets of water. And if you gathered all those droplets together, they would fill a half a cup. A half a cup. You know, not even this much maybe. I don't even know if this is a half a cup right here. All that fog. And yet that half a cup of moisture spread out over eight, eight blocks, shut down their ports, ties up cities, blinds drivers from the hazards in front of them. And you know, when I let this half a cup of thing come across my life, blind my thoughts, shut down my trust, when I'm up late at night, fretting and worrying and trying to think about solutions and you know, this was, you know, you're in a place where you, you're just, you know, you're in this danger zone when you start thinking like, I've got to figure this out. No, no. Seek the Lord. You don't need to figure anything out. God will give you wisdom. God will, God will give you wisdom to those who ask. And Jesus tells us, don't worry. 
But worry does place us in a position of desperation. We, we need to learn to turn our worries into dependent prayers. Because I look at things in my life and, you know, the things that I fretted about, the things that I worried about five years ago, I don't know what they are. I mean, I guess I could look up my diary. I, I could look up my prayer journal and I could say, oh yeah, five years ago, this is what was on my mind. But I can't recall them today. I mean, I don't even know what I was worried about six weeks ago, six days ago, perhaps. And I love this. Just look at the birds. <laughs> look at the animals. Birds are in my backyard singing, building a nest with stuff they got from my house. <laughs> and they, they're taking out the worms from my backyard. Uh, they're, they're protecting their little nest as if they own it, but they don't pay me rent. And they're singing and enjoying. And the flowers are as beautiful as ever. I think, and jot this down in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And isn't it true, just... So little faith. Why in verse 30 do we have so little faith? But the key is to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. And the same is true for us. Listen, church, seek first the kingdom of God. Let the time in which we're in right now stir up a desperation. Frustrations are done away with with desperation, desperation for the things of God. If we don't cry out, if we don't long for the presence of power of God, then we're going to be stale and we're going to be dry and droughts await us and, and we're going to be worried and we're going to be fretting and we're going to be overwhelmed and we're going to be consumed with our own thoughts, stuck in our own heads, limited to our own ideas, which leads to despair and hopelessness. And here it is. Will it be despair or desperation? It's our choice. And so chapter 10 opens up with desperate Daniel. Desperation will change us. Notice in verse 1, it's the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future. Times of war and great hardship. Verse 2, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I'd eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. And so the captivity's just about over. Notice Cyrus is the king of Persia. That makes Daniel about 85, 90 years old. It's been some 72 years since the captivity, and he's still in Babylon, while others have already begun to return. And as chapter 10 opens, if you're taking notes, and you really should start taking notes, jot this down. I want you to note this. And by the way, there is curriculum available on our website, calvaryco.church, for your kiddos. There are coloring pages, coloring books. We put extra curriculum up there from the Calvary Chapel curriculum that we have a relationship with. So parents, just know that there are tools available to you. Parents, whether you're watching us online right now live or you're listening on the radio somewhere, there is curriculum available on our website under the Calvary Kids page so that you can help your kids grow as well. So I, I want you to see this. Take notes because even as you are are watching us online or listening on the radio, you are modeling for your kids. This is a model for your spouse. And so make sure you're taking notes. Get a, get a notebook, a special notebook, so that you can take notes and you can use it as a prayer journal. Because look, listen, listen, the, the crisis that you're in right now is going to pass. 
And you're going to look back and, and if you don't write things down, you're not going to remember what the Lord said to you. And you're not going to remember what the Lord did to you. You're not going to remember what the Lord delivered you from. Even if you take notes in the margin of your Bible. I know in my uh, New King James Bible, the, basically the Bible I've used for the 29 years I've been walking with the Lord, I mean, it is filled with notes of, of just what God has given me in the moment. So take notes because I want you to see the desperation. I want you to see desperation takes many different ways. It's not just worry. Daniel's not worried here, but he's desperate because it comes in different ways. It can come in a very spiritual way. So notice with me in verse 2, there are three things in chapter 10, verse 2, that open up here that show the desperation. First of all, um, in verse 3, I should say, number one, I had eaten no rich food. So number one, he is, well, let me catch up with you. Come back. Verse 2, it actually starts there. When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. So number one, he's been emotionally mourning for three weeks. Number two, He's also physically hungry because he's been fasting. And then that where he says, I've eaten no rich food and no meat or wine has crossed my lips. He's been spiritually fasting. So he's emotionally torn out. He's physically torn up. And then notice thirdly, and this is kind of a funny one, but he hasn't used any fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So he's, he's very stinky. He hasn't taken a bath. He hasn't taken care of himself. He's probably been in what, you know, a position of mourning is in sackcloth and ashes. And so here he's in a place emotionally, physically, and even outwardly. And there's a seriousness in his distress. There's a seriousness as he considers what's up ahead. And you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. You have, well, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians, take your Bibles, turn over. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, that's going to be to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice Paul is in a similar position where he buffets his body or he beats his body down physically. He's mourning. He's fasting. Notice, pick up with me in chapter 9, verse 24. I love this. I hope you mark it, highlight it. Paul says, and I'm reading again from the New Living Translation, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He uses that word discipline, and it's not an outward discipline that comes from someone else. It's a personal discipline. I discipline my body like an athlete. I bring it in the New King James under subjection. And there are times when our outward man just isn't as important as our inward man. And that's why fasting is a very important discipline in your life. Some people have emailed me and said, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, you should call for a church-wide fast. And my answer so far has been, I really don't feel like the Lord's led me to call a church-wide fast. But for anyone that the Lord has spoken to to fast, church, fast. And you go to our website or our app, and you can just put in the word fasting. I've done a full Bible study on what fasting is and the different types of fast. But let me give you a summary. Because I believe that if fasting has been on your heart, then it is time to fast. And I know if the, God, if the Lord calls us to a church-wide fast, then I'll obey him. But I just haven't sensed that yet. I have sensed that release of the Holy Spirit speaking to you specifically. 
And if you have been thinking about fasting, then for goodness sake, fast. And here's what fasting is. You ready? That fasting is the purposeful neglect of some fleshly appetite in order to be strengthened and sharpened by the Lord. And fasting will help do that. It'll help you get serious. It'll help you get desperate. Fasting, like the foregoing of a meal or a day's worth of meals or a week's worth of meals or three weeks. Imagine fasting for three weeks, asking the Lord to speak. Fasting is often the answer of God's call to us. Jot it down, Psalm 27, verse 7. It says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Fasting is a wonderful spiritual discipline that's needed in our lives. If we do it with the right motives. It's not a fancy Christian diet plan. You know, well, I need to lose a few pounds anyway. No, no, you need to lose a few of those fleshly pounds. The ones that are worrying, the ones that are fearful, the ones that are overwhelmed with the flesh. Fasting will put a, it's, it's not a diet plan, it's a discipline plan. And if there's one thing that lacks in many believers, and perhaps you, it's spiritual discipline. I just want to call you back to reading your Bible and praying every day, church. I want to call you back to seeking him early in the morning. I want to call you back. Uh, I was reading uh, today, one of the pastors forwarded me some insights from a, from a brother Another pastor has a podcast, and his podcast was on working at home. And, and I thought some of the principles weren't just good for working at home. They were good at living at home. And, he, and, he, and the principles were, and I don't remember them exactly, but I think the first one was wake up on time, take a shower, get dressed, and, and treat your day like it's a day as under the Lord. Or, or in this case, like it's a day you're going to work because you are. You're working from home, and you're living at home. Listen, when we fast... When we set our hearts toward the Lord, he meets us. We learn there are at least three things. Again, jot them down. There are at least three things that happen when we fast. Number one, we learn of the great power of the Holy Spirit. God is ready to infuse power, baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, empowering you, filling you in and with his spirit. We learn the power that we have to deny ourselves, especially when it comes to food. There has just been a burden in my heart since this time uh, when this Bible study is delivered. We're in the midst of a stay-at-home order. I know it might air on the radio at a much later date, but I've just had a burden for, especially those serving alongside of me, to have a disciplined mind when it comes to food, to, to learn to live in the discipline of the Lord, not just to give in, because uh, we're going to be home a lot, uh, we're going to be around food a lot, and, and we're going to be discomforted a lot. And a lot, many people turn to food as a, as a comfort. And they don't see it as, as, you know, well, they don't see gluttony, that sin of gluttony, as bad as they see the sin of pornography. But they're both sin. They're both sins of lacking self-control. They're, they're both sins of not disciplining ourselves for the race that the Lord has called us to run. And can I just encourage you, church? Can I encourage you, pastors? Can I encourage you, leaders? Let's discipline ourselves for the race that God has set before us. And when you choose to fast, listen, I'm telling you, when you choose to fast, you will learn of the power of God to deny yourself. Well, maybe God is calling you to fast and pray right now. If so, hear his voice and obey. 
Well, we've been in the book of Daniel today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. There you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. That's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app, Do a search for Calvary Aurora and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember, this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Glad you've taken time out for our study in Daniel. We'll pick up where we left off next time we get together on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.